Paul Feinbaum's got deep concerns about the Oklahoma Sooners in the future. That's just crazy talk. And we'll talk about it on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Shout out to every member of the Everyday Club. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Make sure you're here every Monday night. 9 p.m. Central Time for our live show. Josh, we got Paul Feinbaum talking, and when Paul Feinbaum talks, a lot of people listen, especially as it regards the SEC. He's been covering the SEC for years now, and a big voice, especially within you know broadcast media on SEC football, uh, joined McElroy and Kubelik on their radio show and had some some concerns that he was expressing. Uh, he was asked the question, you know, where does Oklahoma and Texas stand as they get ready to head into the sec in the 2024 season that's really the question that's on everybody's mind like what are they going to look like where are they going to stack up uh, compared to sec teams and let's just jump right into it here's what he had to say about all that I have deep concerns about the, the trajectory of oklahoma uh I, I talked to barry trammell who's the local columnist out there the other day and, and i do not get a good vibe about this program there there just seems to be some uh, concern that that in the aftermath of Lincoln Riley, they can put the pieces back together again quickly. That that did tremendous damage. Not only did Lincoln leave and take Caleb Williams with him, uh, it also uh, took a lot of other players out of there. And 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 there is no one who is convinced that the Brent Venables hire uh, is going to work. Uh, there, there's equally no one is convinced that it, it's not going to work. And I know that sounds contradictory, but the, the people are just right in the middle. So back to your question, this is a very important season. He needs to get out of uh, you know this morass that the program uh, w- was in last year. You, you, don't, you don't lose by, what, 40-some-odd points uh, to Texas and have it go down well. That's a game that matters greatly. Uh, so I, I think there's there's far more emphasis on what Venables does this year, not so much in terms of losing his job, because I don't think that would happen after two years, but in, in terms of trajectory and showing up at the SEC with a little bit of momentum. Josh, I'm going to let you take it away and, and start first. This will be your first comments on the show, so I think it's a great place for you to get going. Yeah, you know, it's important, I think, to understand that Feinbaum was asked the question within the the prism, the lens, how important is this season for Oklahoma and Texas as they jump into the SEC? And that's a topic that, look, we've, we've talked a lot about right here on Locked On Sooners, and I think just about every Oklahoma media member and probably most Texas media members these last couple of years have spent a lot of time dissecting, hey, what needs to get put into place for 
uh, Oklahoma and Texas respectively to feel comfortable and to feel like they're on the right track as they, they jump into the SEC. So with that being the question that Feinbaum was presented, basically I take his comments there, John, while I don't necessarily, yes, there was a, a, a series of players that left the university of Oklahoma. Really it's probably Caleb Williams. That was most impactful that uh, left the university of Oklahoma, Jaden Hazelwood, maybe a couple others that you would talk about, but, Generally speaking, we're probably mostly talking about Caleb Williams with the Lincoln-Riley departure from OU. I don't know that I disagree with much of anything else that Paul Feinbaum said, and I've seen a lot of reaction from Oklahoma fans to where they maybe don't totally understand why Feinbaum made the comments that he made. Again, when you just see the headline, I'm deeply concerned, well, it sounds like the sky's totally falling out on Oklahoma, and I don't really get the impression that that's necessarily what Feinbaum just said there. I know that he said, hey, I have some deep concerns. Well, Oklahoma was a 6-7 and seven football team last year, John, and I don't know that anything he said at the end necessarily was wrong when he said there's a split about whether or not you're pretty confident that this thing's going to work out or there's a split about I just don't know right? Or I'm really confident it's going to work out or uh, I kind of need to wait and let this thing play out. And honestly, I think Feinbaum's right in saying that. Okay. I'll give him, I'll give him that. I think there are plenty of people that are still not sure if the Brent Venables hire is going to work out or not. When it comes to the, you know, the mass exodus, my words, not necessarily his that happened after Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, that's about it. I mean, Jaden Hazelwood left Mario Williams left, but neither one of those really had much of an impact last year. Spencer Rattler left, but he was gone. Like it didn't matter if Lincoln Riley stayed or not. He was gone. He was done with Oklahoma fans after getting booed off the field. He was not coming back. So like the, the idea that this, this program is in dire straits just because Lincoln Riley left to me, that's a false narrative that continues to get played up. And I think it's just backwards. You could, you could kind of argue that Lincoln Riley left because he saw the mass exodus of players that was going to happen to the NFL over the next couple of years. You know, we talked about the defensive departures after the 2021 season in the 2022 NFL draft class, the, you know, the Nick Bonitos and the Perry on Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Deller and Turner Yell, and Brian Osamoa, like, a bunch of starters off his defense were gone. And then you talk, you know, then this past season as well, you, you had several starters that were going to be going off to the NFL on both sides of the ball. And, and so like, you could argue like that's a big reason why he left. He saw the exodus coming and he knew that the defensive talent that was on the roster, as we've now seen with everybody basically gone, it wasn't going to be good enough for them to contend anymore. And so it was like, well, guess I got to go. Um, so to think that like, this team is in a morass after one six and seven season, or this team is in dire straits after one six and seven season. To me, that's the misnomer here that, okay, you can talk about the six and seven season, the 49, nothing lost to Texas. All that's bad. All of it was bad. You, you can't sugarcoat it yet. There was some good that did come out of that. You did find some good players in a Danny Stutzman, a Billy Bowman. You found building blocks for your defense that you've been adding to now with two really good recruiting classes 
a lot of blue chip players that you're expecting to take leaps over the next couple of years. So like we've, we've talked about it several times, like the 2023 season might not be this huge jump defensively for them, but 2024, they'll be better. 2025, they'll be even better, especially as you go into the sec and you realize that to be honest, the offenses aren't necessarily as good as what you see in the big 12 week to week. The defenses are better. That's for sure. But I mean, you're not going the you know, you're not playing Texas tech or you're not playing uh, Kansas state who has a really good offense and you know, a lot of firepower. Like there's a lot of like a lot of games in the sec that, I mean, they're kind of slugfest. They're defensive slugfest, and that's what Brent Venables is trying to build this team toward. So I can, I guess I understand why people might be a little bit uncertain about Brent Venables, but to kind of cloud it with this idea that you have deep concerns after just one season, to me, it's, I don't know, it, it's its a little bit misleading because you you say you have deep concerns, but yet you, you say, okay, they're not going to fire the guy after two years. So really, how deep is your concern? Because he's going to be here. I mean, if you're if you're deeply concerned, you'd be saying he needs to be on the hot seat if they don't have a good year. That said, if they have a backslide and they go work, they have a worse record, which they're not in 2023. I could see that happening, but no, this is going to be a much better team. They're going to have they're going to be two to three wins improved this year just based on the schedule alone. And if some things fall right and you get players like if the players that we think are going to be really really good turn out to be really really good on this defense you're going to be potentially a 10 win team you know and it's that i've got deep concerns portion that people are going to get hung up on the the headline portion of it john and and i don't think i mean you you're not you're going to be in the majority of this deal and frankly i mean that's what Feinbaum said right so at just the very basic core words Yes, he's deeply concerned, but I would I'd be interested to follow up and hear if he just point blank thinks long term. Yes, no, it's going to work out with Brent Venables because I got the impression and maybe I'm totally misreading it, but I didn't get the impression that he's sold that it's not going to work for Oklahoma. I got the impression that he's sold that. Oklahoma fans aren't entirely convinced as of right now today that absolutely living in the world of absolutes, it's going to, it's going to work for uh, Oklahoma and Brent Venables. Like there's at least when he says I've got deep concerns and this might've just been him not thinking about what his comments would mean when you say I've got deep concerns, he's got concerns that he's at least thinking about, okay, now this slam dunk hire maybe is not, actually going to wind up being a slam dunk hire, which again, I don't think necessarily a bunch of Oklahoma fans would disagree with. I don't think everybody would sign up for the idea that they have deep concerns and that they're now all of a sudden sold or convinced that it's not going to work for Brent Venables in Oklahoma. I would say that most Oklahoma fans feel the opposite based on the way recruiting is going and just the general faith and belief that they have in Brent Venables. Final thought on this would be this, John. Whether or not Feinbaum does, in fact, have deep concerns, we've heard who's our, I, I don't even want to say our friend, but uh, our our man from Barstool likes to, uh, likes to pick on Oklahoma and say, Brent Venables, it's not going to work at the University of Oklahoma. He's already made his mind up. I would just tell the Oklahoma fan base, there's nothing we can change on April 26th about whether or not 
Brent Venables and Oklahoma is going to work long-term. So ultimately, in one ear, out the other, it doesn't matter. Keep faith in what Brent Venables is doing. There will be more of this before there's less of this for Oklahoma because unfortunately, after a 6-7 and seven season, John, there's nothing just tangible outside of recruiting rankings for us to point to and say, okay, well, maybe a couple of items from the spring game. Where we can say, well, did you see this in the spring game? But until you go win football games in the fall, everybody's going to say, eh, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. We saw six and seven. And unfortunately, that's just the reality of a six and seven season. And that's fair. That's 100% fair. You go six and seven, you have your first losing season for the first time in more than 20 years. That's going to cause people to question and have doubts. And that's going to allow that to creep in a little bit. But let's hear from a man who feel a little bit more positive about the trajectory of the Oklahoma Sooners offense. We'll hear what Jeff Levy had to say after the spring game coming up next. First, let me talk to you all about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried it, you're going to want to. It tastes great and it's great for you. Low calorie, low carb, high in protein, four grams of sugar, just 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Great flavors like the peanut butter brownie, the peanut butter puff bar that you can get it has that marshmallowy texture tastes great again churro cookies and cream so many wonderful flavors go to built.com use our promo code locked 15 to get 15 percent off your next order or you can check it out you can find them sometimes at your local walmart or sam's club go check it out specialty flavors still at built.com again use our promo code locked 15 get 15 percent off your order at built.com so josh jeff levy Aside from, you know, some of the, the things that didn't start off really well, he, he felt, I think he was overall pleased with the way that the offense performed. I mean, they had moments where it wasn't great, but they had moments where things looked really well or looked really good. Um, you know, he didn't, he did definitely say the running game had to improve. The offensive line struggled a little bit, but let's hear what he had to say first, just kind of about the, the spearing game in general. I feel like we're in a lot better place than we were a calendar year ago. You know, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I thought Davis, when he was in there, did some good things. I think four or five or five or six, whatever it was. So was proud of him for, for getting in there in the second half and doing a couple of good things. But uh, we're in a much better place in that room than we were a year ago today for sure. Yeah, the quarterback spot, that's a big, big deal. Like the quarterback matters I know I went on this rant at the end of our live show about how the quarterback isn't the only factor in whether or not you win games. But if you're base, if you're kind of breaking it down on a level of importance and who has the most influence over wins and losses, the quarterback carries a lot of influence. Uh, having a better quarterback room is good for the team. That's good for everybody because one, the depth is going to make everybody better, but then also everybody's getting better reps. So like when Davis Bevel is out there, and it's the second team offense and they're working against the first team defense, they're getting better reps. Or if it's Jackson Arnold that's working against the first team defense, they're getting better reps because they're playing better competition when it's not who it was a year ago um, on the quarterback roster during spring ball. So that's a huge, huge deal for me that this whole thing is just better and it's going to continue to get better with what's coming down the pipeline. And I apologize that a uh, little bit out of order there. That was, 
Jeff Levy talking about how, yes, the quarterback room is in a better place. And here were just his general thoughts on the spring game offensively that was. We had a couple of chances there in the first quarter, you know, to make some plays and didn't. Obviously had the fourth down uh, where we got a chance to go keep that drive alive. That that play is going to be a chunk play. Have the drop. Wanted a couple things back with the negatives. The first play of the scrimmage, you know, Drake just trying to get it out of his hand a little quicker. It ends up getting batted, but uh, had had Gavin down the sideline there. So thought our guys strained, played hard with uh, everybody that, that was on the field today. You know, we wanted to see guys play incredibly hard and, and make plays. So a bunch of up and down, but proud of the way they competed. So Jeff Levy, I would not toss into the corner of very concerned in his post-game, uh, post-spring, I, I don't even know if we can say post-game, post-spring press conference. He uh, he did not share maybe the same offensive line concerns, and he wasn't directly asked that question there, but he didn't go on this big rant about how the sky is falling offensively for Oklahoma, right? Seemed to be pretty positive about some of the things that happened, felt they got good work in, which is sort of what you'd expect from an offensive coordinator or a coach in the spring, John, that unlike myself and others that at times, Hey, this is what we do. We're reacting to the spring game that was, and occasionally we're making bad overreactions to the spring game that was, but uh, I think the, the big takeaway for me right there, John, is just very simply, okay, Jeff Levy. Yes. Feels the quarterback room is in a better place than it was when he took the thing over. And uh, it's obvious why that's the case. You brought in Jackson Arnold to to pair with Dylan Gabriel. He uh, said as much. And I think, you know, jokes aside, Davis Bevel had a, a better spring game maybe than, than some would have expected. And, oh, by the way, what's coming down the pipeline in the quarterback room. So he feels good about that. And then just generally speaking, again, John, for the overreactors, myself included out there, He's uh, he's pumping the brakes on the whole panic button. Sounds like he felt, generally speaking, things were went, went well offensively. And I think, generally speaking, they did go well, especially when you had Dylan Gabriel in there at quarterback. You, you take the last drive, what Davis Bevel was able to do. Obviously, the running game wasn't as good. There are still lingering questions offensively, wide receiver two, offensive line, left tackle, you know, getting Walter Rouse back and healthy. It's going to matter. Left guard, it's going to matter. Getting Javante Barnes back and healthy, that's going to matter. You know, getting getting that offensive line in sync, I think is going to matter too, because, you know, so much about uh, offensive line play and the running game and even pass protection is about, you know, cohesion, continuity and chemistry. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever written the book about the three C's of offensive line play, but I got the title right there for you. So um, it, it matters, you know, having your, your projected starters or having your starters playing together, practicing together, that all matters because you got to be able to communicate. You can't learn to communicate unless you're playing together. So there are still lingering questions about the offense. No doubt about it. hundred percent. But there was there was some there were some promising things that occurred that gives you gives you some optimism, you know, like seeing okay, Jalil Farouk caught a touchdown pass. Like that's the guy you're expecting to take a big leap this spring or this this fall and have a breakout season, especially myself. You know, I'm I'm banging the Jalil Farouk drum all day long. You know, you, you saw a little juice out of Gavin Sawchuk, not necessarily in the running game, but when he caught passes out of the backfield. Uh, not just the touchdown pass, but there was one time where he, he was just kind of check down option. 
he got that ball and he was flying. Like he was really quickly moving down the field, just picking up some really easy yards just as a check down. So that's, to me, that's an encouraging sign as well. You know, seeing Austin Stogner, Blake Smith out there making some plays. So they're encouraging things, but yeah, there's still a lot of lingering questions and I'll admit, like even as a glass half full kind of a person, it's hard not to look at that team and that game in the spring game and and not come away still having some lingering questions. But they've got time to answer those things and they don't play a, a game against Big 12 competition, you know, until late September. So there's a lot of time to figure some of that stuff out. But they've already added a piece that they think is going to be able to help them offensively and make plays both in the short area passing game on special teams so I, I'm still feeling very optimistic about it because I like the quarterback situation. I like the skill talent. It's just, just a matter of getting that offensive line working together. No doubt. That's going to be the, I mean, coming out of the spring game, and this is not, this would not have been top of the list. It definitely was on the list. Where is the offensive line, uh, you know, post Wanye Morris and post on uh, Anton Harrison and, uh, Gosh, Chris Murray, post Chris Murray. What what was all of that going to look like? We knew that was that was on the list of priorities for Oklahoma, but uh, probably just defensively in general. I don't know if you want to say defensive line would have been way, way up there. Secondary, how improved, how quickly can it be? Now, coming out of the spring game, would you say offensive line wide receiver are this team's two biggest questions coming out of the spring game? I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I still have, I still want to see the defenses, the defense against, you know, Big 12 competition or against, you know, a, an improved Tulsa team. Like Tulsa just hired Kevin Wilson, a former Oklahoma Sooners offensive coordinator, a really good offensive coordinator. Uh, SMU has been a really good offense the last several years. Like those are going to be tests, but it's going to be that game against Cincinnati that I think is going to be the biggest test to start the season. So I'm I'm still going to have kind of some lingering doubts about the defense until I see it, until it's proven uh, capable to me. But just focusing on the spring game alone, yeah, coming out of that, offensive line definitely has questions. Wide receiver two, it's a question mark, but it's one that I feel like is going to be pretty easily answered because they've got a lot of guys that were highly regarded coming out of high school, whether it's LV Bunkley or DJ Graham or – uh, you know, JJ Hester or, you know, Brennan Thompson who just came over or Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson. They got a lot of dudes that could make plays for them. And, and we're not even including Keon Brown and Jaquez Petaway, the four-star wide receiver additions in the 2023 signing class. So there's, there's a lot of guys. It's just a matter of like, okay, who's going to be the guy that really takes a step and, and earns the role and earns the opportunity to play and, and play significant amount of snaps I mean, out of the spring game, DJ Graham was the only one I thought like had a, a really good game aside from like a Gavin Freeman that you could say, okay, if I was ranking all the guys that are in competition at wide receiver two, DJ Graham would have jumped to the top of my list, uh, maybe followed by Andrew Anthony, um, you know, and LV Bunkley maybe. Uh, but yeah, there's still a lot of competition that's going to happen there, but I feel good about the numbers game that they're playing at wide receiver two. Uh, with offensive line, I, I still feel good about Walter Rouse but the fact that he's been banged up doesn't really bode well for you in getting that work in, you know, missing so much time. I think that matters. Um, you know, it's good that Caden green's gotten to get a lot of snaps, but is he going to be ready to be a day one left tackle for you? I don't know about that. Could he bump in and play left guard right away? Possibly. 
uh, I think you still have some question marks at left guard. So I think offensive line is still going to be a huge question going into fall camp for sure. Interior offensive line. I know that Rouse will be uh, factoring in for you. We, we assume at left tackle and getting him back can, I don't know that it solves a lot of the problems that Oklahoma had in the spring game, John, to me, it was the interior of the offensive line where you had the majority of the issues where you got to find a way to get that push. But obviously it's going to be huge uh, to get Walter Rouse back into the equation. And just again, you hope that while he's been out and we've heard nothing but positive things on this front, but you hope that he's been a sponge, right? Even though he's somebody that's played a lot of football, you hope that he's, he's learned just based on watching and has really, you know, put some stock in. And I would imagine he has just given where he's at in his career and what this opportunity with Oklahoma and from a financial standpoint, what it means to Walter Rouse. You would just generally speaking, assume that he's, you know, like the language stuff, John, because he's played so much college football, hopefully that won't just be this massive learning curve for somebody that again has played as much college football as he has. So I'm less concerned with him having been out of the equation from a, Hey, learn the offense standpoint. It's more about, okay, just physically, is he going to be able to get right and stay right throughout the course of, you know, fall camp into uh, obviously the season itself. And if the answer to that is yes, then to me, you go to, okay, how do you, fortify how do you get that interior of the offensive line john to to go from where it's at right now which you know with some second stringers and so on and so forth was just okay in the spring game to to be an elite to take this team uh, obviously to the next level where it wants to go yeah and the other thing about the walter rouse being out thing is what do we hear from transfer guys all the time when it comes to jeff levy levy's offense or even you know last spring when jeff levy was instilling his offense they want to go fast and they're surprised by the pace in which they want to play. Walter Rouse not being able to practice, not being able to participate in the spring game, that kind of puts him behind. So when it comes time for him to get in the, into the starting lineup with the with the ones, it's going to be a bit of a shock to his system. And so, I mean, yeah, you can do the mental reps, but until you get the physical reps down in this offense, it's going to it, it's going to matter. Uh, so that that absence really definitely definitely hinders Oklahoma's offensive line development um, until they're able to get them back. Now we've seen over the last couple of years and really maybe the last three years, I can kind of think back to when I started hosting locked on Sooners back in 2020, that the offensive line really didn't take shape until, you know, big 12 play started midway through the season. There was a bit of a rotation that was happening at offensive line. So we might not have like the full answer of what this offensive line is going to be, until you know they go to Cincinnati. I think that's probably the point where you have to have it pretty well solidified because Nightbird Stadium, that place is going to be jacked up to host Oklahoma for what could be the only time in who knows how long. Um, and that's a really good, you know, a really good football environment. If you've watched or paid attention to what they've created over the last few years as Cincinnati's you know become such a a I don't even want to say powerhouse, but maybe an American athletic conference powerhouse over the last few years contending for, you know, college football playoffs, they've created a really strong environment. And I think it'll be that way, you know, late September when Oklahoma travels up there. So having your offensive line in sync, knowing who's going to be playing next, you know, on the right and left of them, that's going to matter because you got to have that communication down when, you know, things are allowed. It's third and 10 and they're, you know, they're trying to 
you know, get noisy and get loud and, and communications disrupted. So, you know, hopefully Walter Rouse can get back, be ready for fall camp and have no more disruptions to his, you know, participation because they got to get that offensive line and sync it. I mean, everything, everything is going to stem from the offensive line because they want to run the football. They want to run it a lot. They want to play fast. They want Dylan Gabriel to be clean. It's all going to come down to what does this offensive line look like? And right now it's a lingering question for sure. You know, you brought up a great point and getting caught in the moment of, okay, what we saw in the spring game when, Oh, by the way, they're starters out for Oklahoma along the offensive line. So I got you. No, no need to totally panic there. But the, the best point is this. Based on the way the schedule shakes out this year for Oklahoma, John, Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa. Win, win, win in the non-conference portion before you get to that September 23rd date at Cincinnati. And really, if Cincinnati's not if, – if Cincinnati's sort of who people – nationally think Cincinnati's going to be with all due respect you know that's it's a road game it, it's a road win. game but it's not the most intimidating road game maybe on the schedule for Oklahoma hypothetically maybe maybe it winds up being that way but on paper that would not get ranked as one of Oklahoma's most difficult challenges but definitely you've got three non-conference games where you can shore some things up and we're coming off you know look we're coming off a year last season where Kansas state was one of the worst, one of the worst like passing teams coming into Norman or what was it that Martinez just looked terrible. And, and then lo and behold, they come to Norman, Oklahoma and I get it. They played OU. So it's like, well, there you go. Right. You got to play Oklahoma's defense and that solved a lot of issues for Kansas state, but all of which is a long winded way to say that where we're at today with Oklahoma is not who Oklahoma for good or bad for good or bad. As we found out last season is not who Oklahoma is going to be by September 23rd. When you play Cincinnati It's not who Oklahoma is going to be on October 7th when you play Texas and on and on and on, so on and so forth. Football teams do get better as the spring rolls into the summer rolls into the season itself comes out of the non-conference portion. And let's hope this OU team, John, unlike last year's OU team, gets better as it goes because that was one thing that frankly was missing from last year's team. You're talking about Kansas state and all I'm doing is remembering all of the Adrian Martinez slander that I uh, unloaded on this show that week about how he can couldn't throw the ball. They, they didn't trust him to throw the ball and you want to cold take somebody, man, just go back to that week and, and listen to me talk about Adrian Martinez and Kansas State's offense because your boy was real wrong, real, real wrong. I, I think Adrian Martinez they and uh, Colin Klein, they heard all my talk and like, we got to shut John up because this is becoming slander and none of this is going to go well. That's probably why I was so mad when uh, that game was transpiring because I, I remembered everything I said. I'm like, who's this guy all of a sudden? He can actually throw the football anyway. But no, it's it's going to be, you know, this offseason is is crucial. Like, even though I took I took umbrage with what Paul Feinbaum had to say, this season is crucial. It's critical. They got to get off to a good start. You know, they do have some tough games, although they're more tough road environments. And that Texas game, man, that's going to be the one that's circled on everybody's calendar. This team's got to be better than it was a year ago. There's no, there's no room for a blowout loss on a get to Texas this season. There's just no room for it. 
I mean, you can go 10, you can go 11 and one. If you get beat by 30 against Texas, that's all everybody's going to remember. I think you got to have a, a much better performance in that game because it's, it's the game of all games, right? It's the game that matters to everybody. I talked to my wife, big Oklahoma fan more often than not. It's like, we just have to beat Texas. We have to beat Texas. Like we can do no matter what else we do. We got to beat Texas. So she was, she was uh, not happy with the way that that transpired last year. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in being a part of the show. Thank you to all the everyday club members out there listening every day on their commutes to work, uh, in the gym when you're working out, when you're doing your yard work, however you get to Locked On Sooners. Thanks for subscribing to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we're free and available on all platforms. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. And again, 9 p.m. Central Time every Monday night, we're here locked on Sooners Live, interacting, chatting with y'all in the group chat, taking your questions and breaking down Oklahoma Sooners athletics. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. Follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. Here on Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref, I'm John Williams. Follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. Read my work over at thesoonerswire.com. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.